0: Assalamu alaykum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alamine, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 a.m. Streaming on WCEV1450.com. Now for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Radio Islam U- USA, that's at Radio Islam USA, and make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you do not miss out on anything else. And you can also go back and check out all those great conversations that you have missed out on. And you'll find us SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. Okay, folks, we are really pleased uh, to have joining us. On the Phone, uh, Sahara Abdulaziz, Uh, she has become one of my favorite authors, right? And I've just read one of her books. Uh, But she has authored seven books, among them The Broken Half and Tightrope. Now, her work covers a wide range of hard-hitting topics, mood disorders, domestic violence, and sexual assault, marital and family dysfunction, racism, sexism, and prejudice, but most of all, survivorship, truly important. Now, her multidimensional characters have been described as having substance and soul. Sahar holds a a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master of science degree in health and wellness promotion and administration, as well as a certification in community health administration. She also holds certificates in sexual assault and domestic violence crisis intervention counseling, as well as domestic violence sexual assault counselor advocacy. So we are just pleased uh, to to welcome her to Radio Slam. Assalamualaikum.
1: Waalaikum well, like, assalam. Thank you for having me.
0: Yes, it's our pleasure. So you have written, uh, you've written seven. Well, before I even ask you uh, to kind of jump in about the broken half, are you mm-hmm. working on any, anything else right now? I am. You are okay. okay. I am absolutely. You know what? You know, we're just going to kind of flip things around a little bit there.
1: <laughs> just... Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> <laughs> what, um,
0: what, what's the, what's the premise? Because you cover quite a bit of, uh, you cover a lot of different, um, uh, uh topics, and there's just mm-hmm. a great deal of social commentary that goes along with, uh, with your, your, your work. Um right. So I'm just, just, wondering, what area is this one going to be in?
1: Well, the latest book that came out is called Expendable.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: that came out just a couple of weeks ago, actually, the oh, okay. summer. Okay. And that one has to do uh, with emotional abuse. Um, the other books that I've written, I've tried to cover a wide range of different kinds of abuse because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding what entails abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assault.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the broken half uh, covered physical violence. Right. It also had other elements like gaslighting, et etc. But it was a book that, you know... Clearly, people could understand that this was violence. Um, One of the other books I wrote was As One Door Closes, and that had to deal with generational abuse and incest, a very difficult topic. Oh, wow. Uh, Expendable is, again, going to be about—well, it is about emotional abuse. And that was a little bit more difficult to tell the story because when the wounds are not visible, people tend to think that that makes them not as important.
2: Right. Right,
1: and with emotional abuse, it, it's absolutely just as um, detrimental and dangerous as physical abuse. Sometimes I, even more because people are not validated and they're not believed, and um, suicide rates go up.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, and and some people may not know, but there there's a linkage between uh, stress, which is which can be brought mm-hmm. on by a number of different. Uh, circumstances, but certainly absolutely. if we're looking at domestic violence or emotional abuse uh, Emotion that disorders. it has yeah mm-hmm. mood disorder, it, it has an actual effect on you uh medically you know beyond oh, just the, uh, the mental uh diagnosis or mental health but on your physical health
1: that's right there is an absolute link between de- uh, depression mm-hmm. anxiety post traumatic stress disorder domestic violence sexual assault it's all interrelated and um the result of that is not something that disappears overnight. It's right. not as if, well, the abuse ended in 2005, so you're better now. It right. doesn't work like that. Right. And the um, trail can go for generation to generation to generation, and that's what we're finding now.
0: Right. Especially, you know, it being unresolved. Uh, these, these patterns of behavior and thinking, mm-hmm. you know, they become the legacy uh, that we give to our succeeding generations.
1: That's that's correct. That's so, right. And so that's, that's what started the whole um, realm of my books anyway, was that I saw that a lot of these things were not being addressed. And if they were addressed, they were being addressed in a very clinical manner. And so, you know, there was that was only speaking to a certain audience. Right. And I felt that it was important and imperative to start putting a story behind this, a face to it, but I didn't want it to be um, about an individual, because then everybody gets very judgmental, and they want to quarterback it. Right? Well, she right. shouldn't have done this, and if he only said this, and if you know, and and it becomes personalized. Whereas if I use a fictional platform, we can dispense with all that and get down into the story. If that makes any sense?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, you you basically you answered the question I was going to ask, which was you know <laughs> I, that, that obviously. <laughs> You know, the the, uh, uh, the the impression is that your work in, um, you know, as an advocate, you know, mm-hmm. in counseling, you know, with people who have, who endure uh, trauma that is not always visible to the naked eye. That's uh, right. And, and or, sometimes or even it by is. clothes,
1: because, you know, abusers are very good at making sure they hit where the marks are not going to show up. And with Muslim women who are covered, that could even be more profoundly difficult to prove. Um there's modesty issues. There's there's community pressures. There's the stigma, mm-hmm. um, and then, in, you'll find in the broken half. I even address that that, you know, a lot of women will or are victims, but I'm talking about women right now. Um, will cover those bruises uh, with clothing, and so nobody knows.
0: Right, right. You know, speaking about the uh, the broken half, and as I said, that that'll be my the next book of yours that I read. Uh okay. I look, you know, inshallah, right? But that, that's my intention. Um but just in reading uh some of the um uh, the reviews uh on it and uh-huh. looking at some of the statistics involved with with abuse, uh and and the way uh, you know, I I should say that it's it's one of it's one of the books for those of us, especially who have to uh, at times find ourselves counseling or offering you know offering counsel uh, mm-hmm. to potential um, to potential. I don't want to say victims, right? But survivors for those who are survivors. enduring that, mm-hmm. right? It's important to have frames of reference that are not simply you know as you put clinical. Right. Um, so what was the? Could, could you tell the radio Islam uh, audience a bit mm-hmm. about? You know the the plot line in this. I know the main character is her, her name is uh, is uh, Zara. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so yeah, would you yeah just kind of give us a, a kind of a, 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 little, a mini a rundown? Background yeah. on it. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. um, well, the main character is a young woman who finds herself in a marriage. Um, they're a young couple, and um, she's she 's gaslighted into the relationship in the sense that she didn't really understand what she was getting into until she was deep knee into it mm. um, and by then it was kind of a little bit too late to get the kind of help that that she that she needed um, again we 're going back to the stigma the community pressure um, she couldn't express to anybody through embarrassment, and then on top of that, the abuser, her husband. Um, isolated her, which a lot of abusers will do. They isolate the victims. And so her relationship with her parents started to falter, and she didn't feel like she could communicate with them. And her mother, before the marriage, saw that there were things happening in that relationship that were red flags to her, and she didn't want her daughter to engage in this relationship, but her daughter went with it anyway. So because she felt embarrassed, because she felt that um, she didn't listen to her family or her friends She didn't feel like she could go to them for help, so she she was further isolated. Um, Abuse comes in many forms. Her money, even the money that she made going to work, that was taken from her by her husband. So she was losing control uh, by who she could speak to, who she could confide in, where she could go, where her money was being spent. Um, And then her husband emotionally abused her. He he was a a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And so everything revolved around him and how everything affected him. And so this young woman found herself at the point where she didn't know where to turn. And so she sought out help with the community, which a lot of Muslim women will do when they are uh, finding themselves in one of those situations. However, when she did reach out, it fell on deaf ears, which is also pretty consistent, not with every community, but a a large majority, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And... um, And I found this when I was working with women in my community. I worked with women who were Muslim and non-Muslim. And um, they would go to the masjid and ask for help, and they were told to make du'a, or they were told to um, be a better wife, or they were asked what they did to upset their husband, uh, to make peace. They were told that Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, hates divorce, which is true, Mm. but we're not talking about... You know, in safe situations or cert- situations that can be worked out or discussed. We're talking about violence in the home. That's a whole different uh, set of circumstances. And so she was being physically tormented from her husband. And I also wanted to address in this book something that's up for debate a lot of the times, and that a lot of people think that a woman who is married cannot be raped by her husband. Mm. And I wanted to dispel that myth. Right, right. And so without giving the whole plot away, (laughs) um, she went to her community and they were not there for her. And so she sought out help from a uh, non-Muslim agency that deals with women, and they were there to help her, but they didn't understand quite how to address certain cultural nuances. And so she felt even more alone and more isolated. And this is also something that happens a lot with uh, women who find themselves in abusive relationships. So they have to think before they leave about will they be safe to leave because it's one of the most times to leave your house
2: mm-hmm.
1: or an abusive relationship. Um, will they be believed? Will they be validated? Where they go, will they help them? Will they be embarrassed? What kind of stigma will follow them once they do seek out help? If they seek out help outside of the community, Will that reflect badly on them? And then are they putting themselves in further jeopardy by exposing themselves to um, cultural differences or nuances that are not conducive with their own belief system? And so that's where the story is generated from, Mm -hmm. uh, because I saw it with my own eyes, working with with my community for years.
0: You know, one of the things that I noticed, one of the things that I've I've noticed um, is that this pattern of abuse, uh, this behavior, it is—it is, it is definitely—it's uh, not bound by a, by a faith tradition or or geography. Uh, it is—it's it, a—it's a common playbook.
1: Right. And it, 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 it's in every community. It's in every culture. It's on every land in the co- in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's about power and control. Yeah,
0: but 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 it is definitely—it's uh, complicated. There, there are nuances that come along. With these differences in culture, you know, it's mm-hmm. particular you know, along with um, uh, with Muslims, uh, and if we, That's right. so, you know, it does present itself. Uh, there, there, are different challenges. Uh, that oh, are many different today.
1: challenges. There, yeah. there, there are language barriers. There mm-hmm. are cultural barriers. There are financial barriers. There are um, there are different ways that different communities will even validate or not validate a victim of abuse. I had to on many occasions be an advocate for a woman who wanted to get a, um, an Islamic divorce. Right. And I was you know, coming in to meet with the imam, her, her soon-to-be ex-husband, hopefully, and her and another witness, myself, and the imam himself said, Nope, nope, you can't pronounce divorce. He has to want it, and he doesn't want it, so you're going to have to work this out. Mm. This is after she also came out of the emergency room.
0: Yeah, you know, this some of the stuff seems like it would just be uh, common sense. You know, common sense uh, in terms mm-hmm. of you know preserving uh, human dignity, uh, right. uh, you know, of, of each individual, and uh, particularly the one uh, who was battered. That's um, right. But but we're, we're, it's we're not always common sense. A lot of
1: objectification of women. So if you yes. see women as an object or something that you can own, then you can treat that. That person any way you feel like, and that gets perpetuated by certain kinds of mindsets who mm-hmm. also you know um, feel that way they they it's not necessarily that they think it's right to hit somebody, mm-hmm. but they don't think that that person really has the um the mm-hmm. right to take it upon themselves to call an end to it
0: either. Right, to protect themselves.
1: That's
0: right. You know, That's there, right. there's something else that, that just comes to mind. In your experience, uh, and this is, I hate to say this, probably a, a rather recent observation for me, but for those uh, women who, who have endured abusive, uh, um, uh, who, have, who have endured abusive households uh, mm-hmm. and, and marriages and relationships, that mm-hmm. when they do, Decide to leave, or when they are able to leave, that really they are often at times they're leaving everything. They're not just leaving that that That's individual. Right. They're they're leaving right. possibly their their jobs and and maybe contact mm-hmm. with family.
1: Change is very frightening. Yeah, it's it's very frightening. And again, when a woman decides to leave, it usually I think don't quote me on this statistic, but. When during my training, we were told that um, it takes a woman between 11 and 15 times of yeah. trying to leave before they can actually they actually do leave,
2: yeah.
1: because there's so much involved with it. So when we would counsel women about leaving, it wasn't something that we tried to say do it right now. Matter of fact, like she I'm had sorry. the power of control so her, herself. Yes.
0: Sorry. Could could you repeat that? I'm sorry. You you were breaking up. Oh,
1: I'm you sorry. You said um, um
0: it, it, they, they very don't leave immediately, for, right?
1: a person who's being abused to leave an abusive relationship, and it usually takes between 11 and 15 times. Again, don't quote me on that statistic. It might have changed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and women are, people who are being abused, women who are leaving that, that abusive household, or that abusive relationship, um, homicide goes up. It's it's very dangerous. And so you're correct. They're leaving, even though they're in, a, in an abusive situation, they are leaving. Mm-hmm. The the commonality that they understand that they that they can read that they can that they can navigate at that moment, um, it might be a fiscal kind of um, situation where they might not be able to financially lead that relationship. There, there could be children involved. Right. Um, there's 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 jobs that could be lost. There's their reputation. It's the stigma again. The stigma is.
0: <sighs> yeah yeah it's a yeah, lot it, it's a lot
1: it's a lot and um the women people who lead those relationships um they they're really brave and it's very scary and it's very dangerous
0: yeah you know one of the uh statistics that I saw um as a matter of fact it uh, on family you can you can actually just go to youtube and google uh and not google, but you can go to YouTube and search the broken half there's a really informative the just the promo for it. Um, was, there was so much information uh, within that, and one of the stats was says women are 70 times more likely to be killed in the two weeks after leaving than at any other time. That is correct. And,
1: and there's another statistic that says uh, women who are pregnant um, have a higher chance of being killed when they're in a, um, an abusive relationship. You would think, mm. here, here's this woman, she's carrying life, and it, it the sanctity of life, and right. and yet women are—how do I put this? Women are—the uh, danger level for women inside their home magnifies right. when they're pregnant,
2: yeah.
1: and women are not even safe in their own homes. And that's why I, I actually called it the broken half, because um, this is a marriage, and we're told that— you know um half of your dean is your marriage right? Right. right and um what happens when it's that broken half how do you mend that how do you reconcile that and how do you how do you move past that especially when you're not being believed or validated
0: yeah and and i, I would i would bring up i was in a um a couple of was it 2 years ago I was at the uh, black Muslim psychology conference Mm -hmm. and uh, there was an imams round table, which I participated in. And we, we fielded questions about possible um, scenarios, you know, involving the reporting of, of abuse. Uh, How Mm -hmm. would we, how would we respond to that? And that, and I mean, I won't go into all of the the details of the different responses, but it was something, it was something to see these different responses that came up um, Mm -hmm. and what this really, for me, what this really shows it is that there is a need for this to be much more front and center, uh, in the consciousness and not just not, not, not for it to be something that people believe that they are dealing with, um, you know, in, in isolation, uh, mm-hmm. particularly for those who are, who are receiving word, right? Because, That's right. and that was one of the major, the major, um, comments Takeaway. was, yeah. And major takeaways was, was validation, right? Because mm-hmm. if you question, the authenticity right the veracity of a person's uh, uh statement that may be the only time that you that you see that person
1: that's right. right and and if you blow it it you might have to um pray over the her body
0: yeah you could be doing the janaza that's yeah, right absolutely and that's happened
1: all too often and it's not again it's not just women mm-hmm. it's it's also men it's also children but oh yeah the broken half, in particular, is
0: about a woman. How did you integrate uh, into into this particular um, story? How did you integrate uh, the support systems that uh, that that women who are going through, or who are in abusive relationships? Right, we look for the we look for support religiously in our faith communities, uh, mm-hmm. but then also, you know, we, we look for support from a trusted uh, friend or family member. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did how did you uh, address that? In the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, well, I showed how dangerous it was, and that one of the things that, in my training, um, there are people who definitely, in, in a family setting or a friend setting, who want to help, right? Right. Um, but even then, you have to take into account that you're putting yourself in danger. So how do you do that without putting yourself in danger? And I wanted to show that in the in the book as well, Um even workers, when I was an advocate, uh, we, we lost people who were doing the work because the abuser would follow them or their name. They would find out who was helping their wife or a significant other, and they would attack them, drive into them, you know, um, come, wow. to the, come to the agency and start screaming out the window, um, I'm going to get you, you know, that kind of thing, um, yeah. all to intimidate. Or if we advocated and went to the courthouse they would be there and they would try to be very menacing and threatening. So it's extremely dangerous. Even doctors who are highly trained and and they have a, you know, a substantial knowledge about this will tell you that they hate dealing with domestic violence calls because they never know if they're going to make it out alive. Right. That's how volatile they are. So in the story, I tried to show what happens when um, people Don't participate. I showed people who feel bad for the person but aren't willing to go that yard. I showed people who are willing to go the extra and how they can be placed in danger because everything else, all the other support systems haven't come through. Mm -hmm. Um, And the community—it's about training. It's about understanding the nature of domestic violence instead of just assuming that you understand it. Well, that person got hit, and that's bad. And so, don't do that anymore. Right. That's not enough. This is this is this has to be dealt with in a very um, uh, multi-level, multifaceted way. Like you said, there, that the support has to come in many ways. Because yes, you can stop the abuse, but where does she go from there? Right. Do we have the places, the shelters, where a woman would be safe? Mm-hmm. Do we have the social services that you know for counseling? Um, this could have been abuse over many years. What kind of therapy is available? Right. And it goes on and on. The medical, you know, when we when we would do, um, when I did Hotline, I would meet women in the emergency room and, you know, right there and then, we're dealing with broken bones or ribs that are broken and how do we shelter this person and how long can we keep them there and safe and who can this person call and what kind of support system does this person have or, do, or don't have, you know, so the, all these things you're assessing at one time. Right. That's something that our community has to... Um, become more forthcoming with.
0: Mm. Do you think because uh, do you think that there is not enough education around intimate partner violence, uh, domestic violence, uh, especially when we talk about people uh, newlyweds uh, mm-hmm. and, and young people in particular? Do you think that there's not enough uh, education around that on a community level?
1: I think that it's one of those topics that are very uncomfortable, and you know when, when newlyweds are getting. You know, into their beginning of their relationship, and everything is rosy and and exciting, and we want the best for them right, so nobody's thinking about well if he hits you <laughs> right. during the initial time when newlyweds are together or young people we're not um our mindset is not about the negative we're not already planning for the divorce we're not sure. planning for the breakup or the the abuse right mm-hmm. um and we we kind of don't deal with it um i've never my experience, I haven't heard a lot of kribas about domestic violence. I just heard, be good, you know, be a good Muslim, be kind to your wife. But what does that mean? Right. You know, what does that mean? How, you know, to one person that might mean, well, I didn't hit her that hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. To another person, it might be hitting is completely unacceptable. So we need to, we need to come to an understanding about what's acceptable and what's not. And uh, across course the I think that education is, is very important. I think that um, anybody who gets into this, I hate to say line of work, but mm-hmm. anybody who does this kind of advocacy needs to be trained. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now, because of cell phones, that's, a, that's a, another danger. That didn't happen when I was first, <laughs> I'm aging myself right now, but when I first got <laughs> into this, cell phones were not as common as they are now, right? So, yeah. um, But now the, the abusers are tracking down their they're um, victims using cell phones.
0: Oh yeah. If you got an iPhone, you've shared your location or Mhm. Yeah.
1: My kids do it to me all the time, right? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well yeah, I'm
0: well I'm you're at the
1: store right now.
2: Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: so we have to be really careful. So those kinds of things will always crop up and that's where the training comes in. So we can combat them in real time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think that this is something um Having, having these works of, of fiction that are rooted in real world um, scenarios and problems mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, and I think I th- that's what you mentioned earlier it makes it a lot more palatable to have the discussions. Uh, so I think th- these are just tremendously important uh, stories uh, that you're sharing. So um, uh, We really appreciate uh, you.
1: Well thank you I appreciate that. I just I hope that these kinds of stories will open up dialogue. And understanding. And um, if it if it helps one person, then it was worth writing.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, (laughs) the the, tightrope, but 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 I I am really I am hoping that this is not going to be the last time. I'd love to have you back on to talk more, um, particularly about tightrope and and also uh, because maybe I'll have two books read, read by the end.
1: Oh, inshallah. That would be wonderful. <laughs>
0: inshallah. Yes. But uh, uh, Sahara, it's been a pleasure uh, having you on and talking to you. And, um, you know, just a, a great writer. Alhamdulillah. Well,
1: thank you. Thank, thank you. Alhamdulillah. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Uh, and before you go, yes. what, would you let the Radio Islam family know where they can find you on uh, social media, where they, they can get your books and all all, all that good stuff?
1: Oh, wonderful. Um, I'm on Amazon, Sahar Abdulaziz, author. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter, Sahar underscore author, and I'm on Facebook. Author Sahar Tuliszi, oh, okay. you know, um, I'm on all three, and I'm on Instagram. But really, if you want to reach out to me, come to my author page, uh, I'm, and I'm definitely on Twitter.
0: Okay, I'm delighted. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Radio Sound family, think. we have been talking with Sahar Abdulaziz. Uh, she is the author of seven books. Well, actually, I think my, my, it might be eight right now. I think one we, she mentioned during the course of our conversation. Um, but two of them, uh, one is uh, The Broken Half and the other is uh, Tightrope, which um, I read myself. and It's a great book. It's a great read. Okay. So, folks, we're going to take a short break a short break. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, we are going to talk with our good friend, Radio Islam literary contributor, culture contributor, Leila Abdullah-Poulos. So, we'll be back in just a minute. The International Museum of Muslim Cultures and History in Jackson, Mississippi, host a historic national conference in partnership with the National Museum of African American History and Culture, Millsaps College, Tougaloo College, Sound Vision, and with support from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation titled Race, Class, and Religious Intersectionality in America, An Ongoing Struggle for Human Dignity. This is a candid conversation, including presentations by over 70 scholars, activists, elected officials, and thought leaders taking up the ongoing struggle for human dignity in the American experiment. The conference takes place September 6th through the 9th at the Western Jackson, located at 407 South Congress Street, Jackson, Mississippi. Registration is $245 for adults or $450 per couple, $170 for students 13 to 21, and children under 13 are free register and find more information at muslimmuseum.org Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host Tariq El-Amin and we are still on WCEV 1450 AM streaming at WCEV1450.com For those of you who are just tuning in and this might be your first time. Make sure that you are following us on social media. So follow and like us. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You will see us at Radio Islam USA. And make sure that you take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So if that's iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or Google Play, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks. We're going to keep it moving. And now we have joining us um, one of my favorite folks to talk to. Um Sister Layla Abdullah uh Radio Islam culture co- uh, contributor, as well as the founder uh, and editor of NBA Muslims, and we are, yeah, we're about to get into a nice discussion on a book that you all, if you don't know about it, you're going to know about it now. Assalamu alaykum. Wa aleikum
3: assalam rahmatullah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, um, you you keep throwing, you keep throwing some 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 real heat at me, and. <laughs> So, uh, this, this one was heavy, yes, yes, definitely, definitely. So, the title is No One Taught Me the Human Side of Islam: uh, The Muslim Hippie Story of Living with Bipolar Disorder by um Zakia. And, um, I'll say one thing, uh, and I, I'll just throw this out first. One of the, the things that really, uh, that really hit me was the, the stereotype. That Muslims have of themselves that does not, uh, well, maybe not, maybe not right now, because there's probably more. There's more talk than I've seen in in, in a long time or ever about self care now and mental health and, and wellness. Uh, but this stereotype that doesn't leave room or has not left room for um, for anything but perfection. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. So I absolutely agree, and whether it. Uh, what what what's featured in this book, which is mental health issues, whether it's developmental uh, 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 issues, any kind of special needs or anything like that. We do the Muslim Muslim culture in America tends to need more, more uh, uh, education, advocacy and understanding because it's like this whole idea of this perfection that didn't even exist in the time that the Prophet There were yeah. people with special needs and everything like that. So I don't, you know, it's, it becomes very, very traumatic if you're someone that is not, that is that is struggling with something mm-hmm. and you're looking at the Muslim community because the Muslim community is kind of like looking at this kind of like perfect ideal person that no one ever is really.
0: Right, right. And you know, uh, I guess to tack on to that, the things that that we associate with just just culture, you know, writ large. Looking at um, not just the United States, but the de- developed world, uh, and even undeveloped, right? Because substance abuse is something that we find not just in places where we that we consider to be modern, but mm-hmm. you know, just everywhere. But how there's not a a space for, or there are not enough spaces for the recognition of it. You know, as an issue, and then how that also can be tied to mental uh, mental disorders, mood disorders. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think this book. I mean, even in its title, which 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 is something that kind of grabs you, right? The Muslim hippie story of living with bipolar disorder. Um, in itself, you know, it, just in reading that, that tells you that there's a whole lot that, that that you you should expect to see a whole lot that you don't normally see. Um, yeah. In our conversations.
3: A lot of times what we had, what we normally read when it comes to Muslims kind of like telling their life stories, and there's this, this big need, especially it, uh, for um, American Muslim converts to tell a stories, especially white American Muslim converts. But overall, when you, when you see like the, what's available out there as far as memoirs, Mm-hmm. It's always about how they came to Islam, how they came to light and like somehow their life is perfect or as close to perfect as possible.
2: Right.
3: What happens in this book that is so profound is that the person telling her memoir, Sakina Kaiser, she's the Muslim hippie. Right. And she was she she became sick with bipolar disorder and her experiences in the Muslim community, and so she's take she, you know, is being very, very brave. Mm. Especially when you read what happened to her. Yeah. You know, to really kind of open herself up and put her life out there in these pages,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and make herself vulnerable again. You know, it's very, very brave, but it was so needed. Yeah. And may Allah bless her for it, because. I mean. Muslims across the country struggle, like what you said, substance abuse, uh, mental disorders, uh, developmental delays, mood disorders. Mm -hmm. And when we're only faced with this idea of, you know, once you are, are either you're born Muslim, there's nothing wrong, or you become Muslim and everything becomes perfect, you know, that kind of thing that's prevalent when you're talking about what's out there, as far as writing, then it kind of makes you feel really like there's something really, really wrong with
0: you, you know. Yeah, and one, one of the things I, that I looked at here was the uh, something that I think everybody wants, regardless of what your faith tradition, uh, faith tradition is. Uh, but you know, but that as Muslims, you know, we look for a reinforcement or affirmation of, of, of identity, and through that, you know, we find that through community, we establish these community bonds, and we have purpose and this uh this book what what umzakiya does in, in this uh telling of this particular um and not a story right but just giving this this account is that those were things that were they were dysfunctional mm. you know that that even in terms of identity right when she writes uh she writes about uh as as karen right when she goes to a um to um to an Islamic, um studies uh, to a class and the instructor who is a uh, who's a who's a white convert right she and she says that she drew some inspiration from that coming in seeing that this is oh this is a convert this is somebody who's you know that they they have some some voice they have um you know she she saw something i guess for herself in that as well uh but when she asked what her name is and she says Karen and the way she was responded to you know her the, the reply oh. was with, with such uh, scorn uh, to uh. say Karen is it, that doesn't sound like a, an Islamic name you know immediately <laughs> immediately that hits at the identity and, and the community the sense that you have a support system uh, that you've walked into one and it was absolutely just not there and of course that's not, that's not typical for all um, uh, for all you know uh, situations but I'm sure that well, I, I can attest to that I know that's not that's not unique, you know. And, and that was mm-hmm. something I was really glad to see. Um, see her bring up.
3: It is, it is definitely not unique. I think that um, it, my experience has been, and, and my observations have been, okay, that especially in the African American Muslim community, which is the largest uh, demographic of converts, mm-hmm. it's waning, but it is right now is that that's one of the first things that used to happen, you know? And I think it's coming from, like, the Black Muslim Movement type of thing, Mm. where it's just, like, it was subversive in taking away that name and replacing it with another name. But then, when you had African Americans gravitate more towards uh, Orthodox Sunni Islam, Mm. it became a matter of Arabizing your name Mm. in order to reinforce your Muslim identity right okay and that's changed but not 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 nearly enough because what happens when you know I kind of think back of when I stopped being Lindell and I started being Layla Mm -hmm. okay and taking that away from me, what it did with my, regarding my family, my mother who gave me that name and everything, and what it meant to me as a person, because it's an automatic compartmentalization of your life. Right. Okay. So your support is now compartmentalized. So it's like, okay, well, my name is Karen. Well, you know, what kind of Muslim name is that? You don't deserve our support because you don't have, you need to have this kind of name in order to, to, to be worthy of the sisterhood or the
0: brotherhood and the support therein. Yeah, yeah. And then I think it also, it kind of also goes along with this idea of um, Islamic ideals that she talks about. And a part of that being the family structure uh, as a support within the faith. And Mm -hmm. for converts in particular, that being one where, when this uh, compartmentalization comes about, that the family is not is not really practically um, they don't really have a space in that um. because it's not just it's not just really about the, the name change but it's also about saying that um, well once is this, this I'm also moving away or I'm moving for I'm looking for support I should say you, you really can't support me in, in, wow. in certain areas
3: well, I do mean think, I think a lot of the messaging tells uh Muslim converts or Muslims with uh non Muslim family members right. that that's not their that's not their role, that's not their responsibility and you should actually avoid it and have an aversion to it. Which I think is tragic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you're 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 changing your faith, especially or even growing up in it, because I see my kids when it comes to their grandparents. Mhm and their cousins and stuff uh there's already a uh disconnect yeah okay and if you're encouraged not to kind of find some connections that's just going to get wider
2: right okay
3: and i think that non-muslim that muslim converts are time and again at least this has been my experience and my observations i haven't seen a change in the shortest there's very individual issues, individual experiences where sure. it's like not like this. Mm-hmm. But it seems like by, by and large, the message that you get when uh, is that your non-Muslim family members are not there for you to, to support you or anything like that. Right. And unless you take the time and the energy to kind of like we'll actually ignore that and develop your own connections with your family, this is going to be a huge schism. Yeah. That's bad enough. But then for you to turn, because now you have this vacuum of need, and you turn to the Muslim community, and for whatever reason, it falls short. Mm-hmm. Okay? Whether you're a black person and you encounter racism and anti-blackness, whether you're someone that is, is dealing with a mood disorder or a mental disorder and you encounter just blatant ignorance, about your condition.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: not only that but actual actual violence in the in, in the sense of like the stuff that happened to her. Yeah. You know, I simple stuff happened to me as someone with a mood disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just fortunate enough alhamdulillah that I had uh I I knew Muslims and I had Muslim friends and family members who actually were able to identify, you know, you need help with this. Let's right. get you some help with this support you through this. But to be out there, you've been disconnected from your family, and then you turn to the Muslim community, and you face that nonsense, Mm. it's very, very traumatic.
0: Yeah. And you know what, I think what Um Umzikia does with this, uh, this is is a great tool for uh, self-assessment. To see what areas we are functioning uh, highly in, and what areas we need to shore up in. Um, Mm. Particularly when it comes to the uh, The ideas that some folks have around mood disorders and mental health, uh, and the belief that faith is the only medicine, Uh, and she illustrates that very well. Just in in the the beginning, when she talks about, after she says, you know, I I became Muslim, and 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 I announce this at my uh, at her counseling session, and says, well, I'm done, you know, I'm I'm finished, and her her -hmm. her, her therapist goes, "Well, well, what happened? Well, I'm Muslim now. You know, mm-hmm. I'm good. I don't need to like that. Explained everything, and well, and,
3: you very much sent that message. Yeah, you very much sent that message that it's going to solve everything, and you're not going to have any issues, any problems. And then when the issues and the problems pop up, you know, then you're only told to make dua. And if you're making dua and if it's not working, then there's something that it's you. It's you. You're not trying hard enough. And there's no extension of that, you know. But alhamdulillah there is a growing uh, uh, pool of Muslim uh, mental health professionals. And so hopefully that will start to stem that tide. But in communities across the country, there are people who are really dealing with this. And the leadership, a lot of the leadership doesn't, don't have the wherewithal to properly deal with it. Right. Which can be as simple as saying, you know what, well, we need to find you someone to talk to about this.
2: Mm-hmm. We
3: need to get you to a doctor. We need to get you to a professional. Right. Okay. But it's set up in a lot of, in a lot of places where, you know, I, and I, feel, I actually feel really uh, kind of bad for Muslim leaders because a lot of times you're in this position where you're administering. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're administering to the flock that's around you, and that constantly changes people are coming in and out of your community all the time with different issues and if you're not if you've focused your knowledge base on one specific thing and left it like that, you know being in an, being a leader in an American Muslim community can be extremely challenging and difficult sure. and you could cause a lot of damage
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And, you know. and that's also about about being being aware of of what your area of impact um, mm-hmm. is, you know, what you're able to actually do and a, able to bring what your what your skill set um, offers. And mm-hmm. and I think that's also another thing that was brought up just in terms of believing that the spiritual medicine is the you know, is the only medicine Um so I mean, when it comes to to, to leaders, when it comes to leadership, uh, I think that it's it's important it's important to have a realization that um, that a part of your ability to lead is realizing what you have and and what you don't have, you know, in your own uh, in your own toolbox, right? So yeah. so taking advantage of uh, mental health resources and uh, and counselors and and, and clinic uh, clinicians, uh, I think that's that has to be integrated as a part of any uh, of of any uh, of any masjid, any community center. Right. You have to have um, resources that are specific to the mental health, uh, mental well-being of your, um, you know, of your congregants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's that's a whole new that's a whole new area uh, that we're that we're dealing with. And and the fact that we don't have them across the board uh that's not a knock i don't think it's a knock on us i think that mm-hmm. uh you know across like i said across different uh different faiths in general uh these are things no. that we are starting to be more be more mindful of that you just can't you don't pray away uh you can't pray away everything no right? um, you
3: can't pray away everything and um it, it's not really practical to tell someone who's going through any kind of Emotional or uh, mental crisis to, to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I was told to pray away uh, when I had um, postpartum depression.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And initially. Right. And um, I'm like, "Why how am I supposed to do that? You don't understand. I can't make do act because there's a voice in my head saying, "You're going to die." Mm-hmm. Repeatedly, right. all my waking hours of my life, and so my body's responding to that. And you're telling me to that that, that I should have the wherewithal to calmly go make will do. It's still going in my head.
2: Right.
3: Makes a lot. It's still going in my head. And mm-hmm. make do And it's still going in my head. I yeah. was <laughs> like. How does that happen? How does that occur? How am I supposed to do that? And I think that, you know, a lot of times we we don't understand what's going on with people. You know, there's a great book that's out um, called You Look Just Fine Mm -hmm. by uh, Sahar Abdulaziz, and it's co-authored by her. And It's about just that. It's people with mood disorders and mental uh, uh, mental health disorders talking about what happens to them what's going on with them, so people can have a better understanding and i think it's very very important that muslims in general develop a better understanding you know um that that brother or sister who's behaving a certain way is behaving that way for a reason Mm -hmm. you know and if they enter into a community where no one understands that or gets that it could be very, very, it could be a very, very harrowing experience that could be an extreme test of faith. Right. When you're, if you are fortunate enough to into a, to be in a community where at least a, one person or a couple of people get that and you get to connect with those people, then you understand a little bit more and a little bit better. But I, I think that we just don't, enough. We, we, we don't, we're not opening our eyes enough and trying to develop enough of an understanding because it's scary it's scary this notion that you know despite the fact that I read Quran and I pray and and I make dua ah, some some messed up stuff can still be happening mhm
0: yeah you
3: know and that goes and back so, that
0: goes back to the whole you know to, to a community being a support system mm-hmm. and how we we find ourselves in different need uh, or, or or in need of different levels of support you know, throughout our journey uh, and particularly as we and whether convert, revert, whatever, whether we are at the beginning of that spiritual journey, uh, which is often when we need the most uh, support. And I was also I was I thought it was a really important uh, point for, for me to see in particular uh, as, as one who, you know, who, who orchestrates uh, panels, you know, um, for people to, you know, to, to, to come to and uh, speak before the community. Um, the danger that uh, that was present, you know, she talked about how uh, having having converts, having people that are new in their faith and, the, and just, you know, beginning having them be the ones to come up to tell the story. Right. It's become mm-hmm. it's become almost a um, I don't know. It's more of a kind of a, a celebration. Like we got somebody new on a team. Um mm-hmm. And, and I think
3: it's a sideshow, but that's just yeah, me. I yeah. that's well, I think you was. were kinder
0: than I was.
2: Uh,
3: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think it's a sideshow. And, yeah. and, and, and it is. It's like you're entering into this faith. Everything that's going on around you and inside of you, and they want to pop you up on a stage in front of a bunch of people so those people can feel good.
0: Right, right.
3: As opposed to the fact that you're someone that's new to this faith, and you actually need support from them. It should be the exactly. other way around.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You
3: know.
0: So I I, I so, thought that was I thought that was a really important point uh, to also bring up, um, just in how we how we are therefore uh, how how we're there for those who are in need, um, and then also I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, but the denial, right? When somebody came up, I mean, when she comes up and and this is the problem I'm having. Uh, and, and not just her, but I know that this has happened in other situations where, uh, you know, I'm I'm dealing with a mood disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. And, well, no, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You know, <laughs> you, you just, you know, don't claim that. Right. And it's like,
3: I just read on, on Facebook yesterday, I was going through my timeline and someone posted something about anxiety. Mm hmm. And a person commented, oh, that's just stress and uh, allergies. <laughs>
2: what?
3: <laughs> that okay. was it. And, and it's like this dismissal of the condition. I had a friend who um, had postpartum depression, and it was ignored to the point where she ended up having to be hospitalized. Oh, wow. And that ha- it happens quite a bit. You know, uh, a lot of times, and I'm going to kind of get a little bit more specific Mm -hmm. uh, and and come from a gender perspective, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, like Muslim women who are going through postpartum depression um, and things like that, it's like they're just being disobedient. They're just not being a good Muslim. uh, And they get it from men and women. It's not that, you know, it's just Muslim men beating on them about this, but this whole idea that, you know, when you're in some kind of crisis... Mm Okay. It isn't processed in a way where people are moved to help you to get help. Right. And so like and and so like what happened to her in the book, people talking about her and everything like that, you know, which is just more. It's just more trauma. But it's just like the responses that you get can exacerbate the condition. You know, and so it's like We tend to look at that that brother that's acting a little strange, acting a little funny in the masjid Mm -hmm. or something like that a certain way as opposed to someone that may be going through something. And so there's no sympathy, there's no empathy, and there's no inclination to help that person. You either are talking about that person or you just totally avoid that person. Or even worse, if someone's coming in and they're going through something, Mm -hmm. you know, you call a cop. And that's very dangerous. For someone that's
0: going through a mental health episode, well, see, the, the problem are very dangerous. is the the, the problem. What well, one of the problems is that how that mental, um, uh, dis- mood disorder or mental uh, illness, however, it presents itself in the public space, mm-hmm. and there, and of course, there's an appropriate way to respond um, depending on how how you know how it, how it manifests. Uh, if you have somebody, and we've we've had this experience, you know, there was a brother who. Uh, would come into the uh, into the masjid uh, with a hammer. You know, we had to kind of you know escort him out. I mean, because it was like, why are you walking in with a hammer? But we knew it was. Whenever he got off of his meds, uh, yeah. these kind of episodes would happen. Um, so, but you knew. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's <laughs> difficult. It's difficult <laughs> for people knew. to care if they don't know. So I think one of the mm. the, the, the most important things uh, that has to happen is there has to be a a really robust um effort uh regarding education. Mm. Uh because when that happens and when that's consistent then then people will respond appropriately. I think oftentimes people give they give responses to problems that are very, you know, uh they're very uh uh linear or, 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 or myopic if you will. Uh because
3: this isn't hurtful.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely, but because, because they only know they only know one they only know one one language. Mm. Mm. So, would you
3: would try to think that they know better?
0: You would think so, right? Common sense well, we is not common. We're humans. Yeah,
3: so we yeah.
0: Common sense ain't common.
3: <laughs> well, and you know that's the thing. It's like you said, there needs to be this education. I think that this book, the fact that it's not as popular as say some books about, um, oh my god, there was this really good book about the heart. Uh, and the woman, she lost her husband, her husband got killed in Egypt, Mm -hmm. okay, and it's like, it's popular globally, you know, I see it everywhere. And I'm like, why is this book everywhere? Why are we trying to understand these things better as Muslims? Because it's not just a matter of our uh, uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters going through that. Mm -hmm. That should motivate us in and of itself. But just even the fact that if we don't develop a better understanding we could cause some serious damage to people.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We could cause
3: some serious damage. And that's what happened to her. I had a hard time. I didn't finish the book. I just really had a hard time because mm-hmm. I saw it very much as what could have happened to me if the pe- everyone around me was that jerky. There were people that were around me that were. But, you know, I was fortunate. You know, my husband has a, de- a degree in um, social work. hmm and so when he, when he saw his wife acting a certain way, he kept an eye on me consistently. And when I, I, I have friends who deal with this, who who, who, who are uh, uh, therapists. So when I'm saying certain things to them, they're like, listen, you know what you need to do? You need to go find someone to talk to right now. Yeah. You know? Until yeah. then, and the person said, you know you're not crazy. This is, what, this is what's going on with you. All right, but when people just like All right. if, if I was just around people who dismissed me or just wanted to talk about me, which again causes more damage, right? You know, it was like very hard to read what this, what, what, what uh, she went through.
0: Well, the no Muslim family, had
3: so many people
2: go through it. We're,
0: yeah, and when we're going to tell you, uh, this is definitely one uh, to look at. Um Zakiya, no one taught me the human side of Islam, the Muslim hippie story of living with bipolar disorder. Uh sister Layla, as always, it is always a pleasure uh to talk with you. And I mean and we're 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 doing it in a much shorter space now. But um yeah. <laughs> next time we'll have you more. You gotta
3: time. have Sakina Kaiser on them.
0: Uh, well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Inshallah. <laughs> Inshallah.
3: Inshallah. 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 Thank you. Well you're
0: cool. All right, uh, right Radio Family. We thank you for tuning in. We've come to the close of another another program. We thank our engineers over at WCEV. Thank you very much. We thank our engineer and studio, the impressive one, Assistant Producer Ibrahim Bey. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujad. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and/or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. That being said, we're going to leave you now as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.